Welcome to the Beyond Sunday podcast, where we bring Sunday home. Join us as we dive deeper into First Baptist's weekly sermons, discuss practical applications, and answer your questions. Hello and welcome to the Beyond Sunday podcast. I'm Jordan Upton, and with me as always is Pastor Jeff Reynolds. Jeff, how are you doing today? Doing great, Jordan. Uh, had a great weekend and and just excited to be diving back into this text, into this story. How about you, man? You had a big trip this weekend, didn't you? Yeah, so my wife Taylor and my little boy Isaac and I went to Lexington for the weekend, and uh, I got to see one of my best friends, Tanner, uh, and we went to high school together, and we've been going to uh, Comic Cons off and on for the past ten years or so. Nice. So we we went to Comic Con this weekend. It was great. Very cool. I've gotten to see a picture of of yeah. your your outfit, and it's it's pretty remarkable. Well, thank you. Yeah, it's fun. Uh, I don't know. It's uh, uh, it's fun being around people who like comic books and uh, pop culture, and yeah. just kind of hanging out with your people. You know. Sure. Um. Yeah. My my buddy Tanner and I have been doing that. We've. Uh, uh, let's see, a couple of years I've gone as Daredevil, if that means anything to anybody. Um, it's, uh, it's been fun. It's been fun. That's yeah. awesome. Well, I'm glad you guys got to have a family trip and uh, enjoy being together. I bet that was really cool. For sure. Yeah. Very nice. So let's take a minute and do our Prayer Partners initiative update. So uh, we're modeling how to pick a partner, pray daily for them, and then connect weekly with them. So Jeff, let's connect for the week. And one word, how are you? Honestly, right now I'm a little tired. Um, we had a big weekend. Got to got to celebrate with a lot of different families and a lot of special occasions this weekend, and um, that was a lot of fun. Uh, but but that's left me a little wiped out. It's Monday as we're recording this, so you know I know obviously with this you're listening to this on Wednesday or after. Um, but you know it's a good tired, and so I'm I'm thankful for that, and got to see God's faithfulness in a lot of people's lives uh, over the course of the last several days. So, Jordan, what about you? In one word, how are you? Yeah, busy. Uh, yeah. I think there are about about four different directions that are uh, pulling me in those separate directions right now. So mm-hmm. it's uh, it's fun. Yeah, I, you know, busy is fun. Uh, I, I don't like to be bored, and so I get restless pretty quick. So that's cool, very <laughs> cool. So, what is God teaching you right now? I think God continues to teach me that He is in charge, and uh, and I am not nearly in as much control as I think. And one of the cool things we're seeing right now uh, in our church is we've got a lot of folks who are uh, making the decision to trust and follow Jesus, making the decision to step into the waters of baptism. And and uh, we spend a lot of time around here praying for people to have their lives changed by Jesus and, and to get to see that happen. And it's really fun. Um, this coming Sunday, a couple of guys who work here at the church, but who also are are very involved in our youth ministry, will be in the waters of baptism with a young man that uh, we got to meet um, in the aftermath of the tornadoes that were devastating in our area. And so, again, God works all things together for good, and this is one of the evidences of God doing that here with right here within the context of First Baptist Church. Um, and this young man has come to Christ, and will present, uh, will will um, step into the waters of baptism to profess his faith, and two um, 
older than he, but younger than me, <laughs> two young guys that are deeply involved in our student ministry here are going to be in the water with him and uh, supporting him. And so that's just really exciting. Um, we've got another young lady who's come uh, from a different part of the state who is here taking care of her grandmother, who will step into the waters of baptism to profess her faith. And so very excited about all of that. And uh, God's just moving in people's lives. And that's a whole lot of fun. So um to God be the glory. Great things he hath done. What about you? What uh, What is God teaching you right now? I think it's actually pretty similar. So I, I heard a quote from Rabbi Jonathan Sachs yeah. uh, of Blessed Memory. He was a chief rabbi in England for several years, and he's since passed. But he said, good leaders make followers, great leaders make leaders. Mm. And that it just is incredible to me because, it. I mean, it's like what we're it, 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 that is what we're trying to do yeah. as Christians, right? I mean, just like, just period. We're trying to create people who will follow Jesus, but not only that, they will teach others to follow Jesus independent of them, and then they those people can go out and create disciples for Jesus. That's right. That's exactly what we're doing. That's what we're called to do. That's what we're called to be, and uh, that's, that's a great teaching, man. Yeah. Very yeah. good. So how can I pray for you? I can just pray for wisdom in rest. Uh, I tend to shy away from Sabbath. Um, and Jordan, obviously you and your family celebrate Shabbat every week, and mm-hmm. I think that's such a healthy practice. And um, we are also in a very busy phase of life right now, and, and my gear, uh, my temptation is just to double down and, and mash the gas pedal to the floor, and um, that's not healthy, and it's it doesn't exhibit a, a trust in God to be God. Um, so just, just that I would be diligent and disciplined in rest and uh, realizing that there are certainly times, as Psalm 4610 uh, says, for me to be still and know that God is God. Yeah. How can I pray for you? So I have a dear friend, Mark Pavlotsky, who has since uh, passed away. He passed away on uh, Sunday morning. Um, he, he was an old man full of years. Uh, he passed from leukemia, but he loved, um, he was Jewish. He loved his uh, Jewish people. He loved Israel and he loved his Messiah, Jesus. And yeah. he was a dear friend. His, his brother passed about two years ago before that. Um, and he, he and his family are Ukrainian. They came from uh, Ukraine uh, during the 80s, I think. Um, and they just came here to America and have made a life here in America. And it's just really, uh, it was beautiful to get to know them even later in life and uh, learn from them. And um, he was, you know, and like I was saying, he had leukemia. So it's, it's good that he's not suffering from it anymore and that he is um, in the bosom of Abraham yeah. uh, sitting with... Um, uh, Jesus in a much better place. Yeah, so. we've been praying for him, and so I'm sorry to hear that he passed. But mm-hmm. thankful for the eternal hope that is ours in Jesus Christ, our Messiah, mm-hmm. and thankful that that hope is His. Um, but I'm sorry to hear of his passing. That's that's hard. Thank you. Yes, sir. So we'll go ahead and get into our scripture for today. Our scripture is Luke 15:11 through 32, and he, Jesus, said, "There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father." Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property and reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. 
So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called to one of the servants and asked him what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Okay, so Jeff, you talked about this parable on Sunday, but let's just have a a brief recap. What is the message of the parable? And did Jesus give this parable for sinners or hypocrites? (laughs) Well, the answer to did Jesus give this parable for sinners is yes, Mm -hmm. uh, because hypocrites are sinners as well. Um, We know that Jesus is talking to the scribes and the Pharisees. And so in Luke 15, 1 and 2, this chapter begins with, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. And so Jesus is speaking these parables, the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and what I would term the parable of the lost sons, um, to the scribes and the Pharisees. He is, he is seeking to jolt them into... Guys, join the rejoicing of heaven. You know these mm-hmm. these these are sinners who are coming home. These these aren't people who are seeking to continue in their sinful patterns. They are they are repenting and returning. And yet, nevertheless, the scribes and the Pharisees could not um, could not embrace them. And so, specifically, Jesus is speaking in these parables to scribes and Pharisees. However, um, I think there were some real sinners listening to, and uh, and I think obviously. Uh, as Luke records this parable, these parables, he's carried along by the Holy Spirit. Um, Jesus was speaking not only to his hearers in that moment, but to all of us as well. And so I think that this this parable of the prodigal son or the parable of the lost sons uh, is instructive for all of us um, who would read it, all of us who would hear it. So you mentioned this on Sunday. Why were Jesus' harshest words for the scribes and the Pharisees. There were other sects of Judaism that he did not interact with as much, at least in the recorded Gospels. Sure. So, yes, there were some Jewish groups at the time of Jesus that that we know some things about. You had the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Essenes. Um, by the time 
Jesus came around in his earthly ministry, um, the Essenes had kind of separated themselves. They were separatists. They were, um, if you think about maybe even like Amish people um, mm-hmm. who, who live separately, they live differently. Like the Essenes wore white linen and they, they lived communally and literally every, anything they earned, they they had a single person to whom they would turn it in. And that, I mean, it was, it was socialism basically. Um, and, and so they lived off to themselves near the Dead Sea. That's where we get the Dead Sea Scrolls and Qumran and all those sorts of things. And so Jesus interacted principally with the Sadducees and the Pharisees, uh, and the Sadducees and the Pharisees, you can kind of think of as political parties within Judaism that vied for control of the temple and control of the Sanhedrin. And during the first century, the Sadducees were in control. So Caiaphas, the high priest, was a Sadducee. Um, and I can't help but think of a song that we used to sing at youth camp. Um, I don't want to be a Pharisee because they're not very fair, you see. I don't want to be a Sadducee because they're very, very sad. You see, anyway, um, and so you have Jesus interacting with these folks, but but so often we hear Jesus speaking specifically to the scribes and the Pharisees. And so the scribes would speak in the synagogues, usually teaching the same teachings of the Pharisees. There were different sects, different parties within the Pharisees, different rabbis that they would follow. Um, Rabbi Shammai, Rabbi Hillel, Rabbi Gamaliel. We know Gamaliel because of uh, Saul of Tarsus being taught by Gamaliel. And so uh, and in Monroe County, we have a town named Gamaliel, but uh. it's spelled Gamaliel. Uh, anyway, that's, that's a little trivia for those of you who are not in South Central Kentucky. But Jesus interacted with them, and I think that, that I can't climb into the mind of God. And I don't know of a verse in the Bible, and if I'm missing it, somebody please correct me. I don't know of a verse in the Bible that tells us, this is why Jesus said these things to them. But what I would speculate is this, that those who deemed themselves to be righteous— were in even greater danger than those who knew they were sinners. There's, if you go to the doctor and you have a brain tumor and the doctor tells you you're fine, well, you're actually in worse shape thinking you're fine but having a brain tumor Mm -hmm. than if you have a brain tumor and know something's wrong. And the same truth applies here. If you think that you're fine, but you stand condemned before God, you're in a very dangerous place. So when Jesus says to the scribes and the Pharisees, you make men twice the sons of hell, and what's he saying? Well, he's, he's saying you're teaching people that they're good because of whatever level of righteousness they've attained according to your tradition, um, but that's not true. Uh, Jesus would say repeatedly, our righteousness must exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees if we are to be a part of the kingdom of heaven. And so uh, the Pharisees had their own traditions. If you want to think of it this way, the Sadducees were the theological liberals of the day. And so they they held to the Torah, but they did not hold to other parts of the, the Hebrew scriptures. Um, they did not believe in a resurrection, and so they would test Jesus. You know, you think of the, the scene where the Sadducee comes up and says, oh, there was a woman who was married to this guy and then had several husbands, and in the resurrection, whose husband will she be? And Jesus responds, cutting through the question, um, you're wrong because you do not know the Scriptures or the power of God. You, you don't understand what you're saying because you deny God's Word. 
So the Sadducees were the theological liberals. The Pharisees would have been the the theological fundamentalists who um, had their own tradition that uh, exceeded the teaching of Scripture. And so uh, ritual washings and things of that nature, or taking the law, taking the 613 commandments of the Torah, um, and creating what one of my professors once called a lifeboat of the law was something the Pharisees did. So they had their own tradition whereby they would say, well, this is how work is defined on the Sabbath, and you can't do this on the Sabbath. And so they were, they were creating traditions that were beyond the teaching of God and to which they held people accountable and to which they sought to hold Jesus accountable. And Jesus said, no, that's not the teaching of God. That is your tradition. And so Jesus differentiated there, and thankfully so. So he had some harsh words. I mean, if you go, you know, at Vespers this this past Sunday, I uh, read to them the entirety of Matthew chapter 23, and it's the woes to the scribes and the Pharisees. And uh, Jesus calls them a brood of vipers. He calls them whitewashed tombs. He, he talks about how they, they focus on cleaning the outside of the cup while the inside of the dish is filthy. And so um, he had some pretty harsh things to say. And I think one of the, the things that he was trying to do, and again, this is purely conjecture, is to jolt them out of their perceived safety uh, and their perceived good standing within the kingdom of God to recognize that, no, they needed God's grace just as much as those tax collectors and sinners that they disdained so very much. I think your judgment there is right on the money. I, I really wanted to hear what you thought on that, because that's a question that has interested me for a long time. Why does he share the harshest words with the Pharisees, but why does he hang out with the Pharisees all the time? Yeah. Right? Um, and, and I personally, I think it has something to do with them being the closest to him theologically and having great authority as teachers within Israel, yes. but not living up to that responsibility. Yeah. Um, and you mentioned that at the very beginning of Luke 15, it says that they were upset that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors. Yeah. So it didn't occur to me until this morning, but the Pharisees had very high levels of purity when they went into eating food. Like you were saying, they had to wash their hands a particular way before they would even eat bread. Um, and for whatever reason, you know, they included Jesus in that. So it he had some level of acceptable purity standards for them to where he would eat with them, Right. one. But then two, he would eat with tax collectors and sinners who very definitely did not have that high level of purity. That's right. So he had this position of being able to eat with them and converse with them and discuss law with them, but then he would go the next night and be eating with sinners and tax collectors, which must have been very jarring to them because to them it, it meant, well, what is, who is he? Like, is he, is he pure like us or is he, you know, a sinner and a tax collector? Well, what does this mean? And it was really jarring for them. And that's why I gave this parable where it's saying, hey, don't be casting your younger brother out who is coming to God. Yeah. If these people are coming to God and they're repenting, you should be celebrating. That's right. And yet there there was that spirit of judgmentalism really. Yeah, 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 really. Yeah. Um and and it's not like the Jewish people of later generations didn't see this. Actually there uh there's a there are a couple passages in the Talmud where it, it lists eight different kinds of Pharisees. And only mm-hmm. one of them is good. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's right. So later, later, you know, later Jewish teachers who were, you know, theological descendants of the Pharisees said, yeah, they were very judgmental. They yeah. were very 
high in the standards they set for themselves, but then they put them on on the the people of the land, and that wasn't a good thing. They they did these bad things and didn't lead people to repentance. Um, and they hated each other. They, all the Jewish people of that generation just hated each other. I mean, they really did. I mean, you think you think we have church fights now uh, and and factions within the church, but I mean, even even the different followers of the different um, rabbis among the Pharisees, you know, uh, if I'm remembering correctly, the, the Shammai's teachings were more conservative mm-hmm. than than uh, Hillel's or Gamaliel's, and so. You you even had factions within the Pharisees, so it wasn't just that the Pharisees and the Sadducees didn't get along. The Pharisees didn't get along with the Pharisees. Mm-hmm. And, and what's funny is Josephus says that he's a Pharisee, mm-hmm. but scholars are torn on that because he says a lot of negative things about the Pharisees. And so, um, so if you sometimes become distressed over the fact that God's people tend to have disagreements, just know that that's been going on for a very, very long time. It's not that it's great, but anytime you have human beings in the mix, you're going to have um, limited viewpoints and sin enter into the picture. Absolutely. And it just all circles back to Jesus giving the antidote to that problem. Love your neighbor. Well, that's right. And 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 he calls them hypocrites. And so uh, we're in here with Elliot. Elliot and I just got to experience the uh, musical at South Warren. Um, kids are so talented. We had several kids from our church in there and it's musical season and, and um, but they're acting. And hypocrite literally is, it comes from uh, the term for actor, wearing a mask and um, that's what Jesus is saying. You know, you're acting. Well, that's great. He would say about the Pharisees and, and, and the scribes and the teachers of the law, they like to stand on corners in flowing robes and make ostentatious prayers just for people to view them. Um, but that's not who they really are. And it's a reminder for all of us, you know, no matter what facade we present, what God knows and what God is interested in is the heart. Mm-hmm. And he wants us to live lives that that flow from the inside out so that that purity on the inside is expressed on the outside rather than the other way. Um, and so it's just very important that we are not hypocrites, um, but rather that we are consistently living our faith humbly uh, and welcoming all to repent and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. So we'll go into today's listener question. Listeners, if you have a question, just go to the link in the show notes or comment on the post below. Jeff, what is your take on the Bible Museum in Washington, D.C.? Have you or Jordan visited there? And if so, what are the comments that you hear? I'm thinking about going there in the future. Well, it's a great question. I have not been there, and Jordan, I think... I have not been there. Yeah, you haven't been there either, so I can't speak to it. I do have some friends who have been and think that it is absolutely remarkable. Um, and so I think that if I were in D.C., I would make it a point to, to get over there. Um, and, and that kind of brings up a discussion of science and faith and what is the interplay there. You know, not long ago, uh, I got to go to Judson University in Elgin, Illinois, just outside of Chicago and and speak to the student body and the faculty about that very issue. And then um, the president had convened um, a spiritual council of a lot of church leaders and ministry leaders from around the Chicagoland area that uh, I got to sit and we did a question and answer about science and faith. And um, Many of you know that my my background is is in science. My undergraduate degrees in biochemistry and molecular biology. And so the question they were asking is, 
are these things compatible? And there are plenty of folks who would say that a, a scientific worldview and a uh, faithful worldview, uh, a theistic worldview, particularly a Christian theistic worldview, uh, are incompatible, and I don't think that's true at all. And so what you're going to see when you go to uh, the Museum of the Bible, or if in Kentucky you go to the Creation Museum, which to which I've been, or Noah's Ark, I haven't been to Noah's Ark um, here in, in Kentucky, um, but what you're going to see is um, is a blending of those worlds that that science does not refute scripture and scripture does not refute um, good science. Um, now I'll tell you that the disagreement is between philosophical naturalism and Christian theism. Uh, philosophical naturalism says there is no deity. There is nothing outside the realm of the material. Uh, and so it would necessarily refute the existence of God. And so philosophical naturalism is going to be at odds with any form of theism whatsoever. Uh, even agnosticism, the, the admission that there is a God, uh, even if we couldn't know anything about that God. Well, we who trust and follow Jesus are not just theists believing that there's a God, but we are Christian theists believing that God um, is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and He has uh, spoken to us through His Word. He has given us His Son, uh, and and there is life everlasting in Him. But um, I, I will commend just a few resources. Um, one is um, a feature film hosted by Dr. Dell Tackett called Is Genesis History? Uh, just got done watching that, and it was really well done. Uh, he's going to advocate a young earth creationism, and uh, he does a phenomenal job of investigating and, and speaking with real scientists who do real science and, and showing that there's real scientific evidence that certainly can be used to affirm young earth creationism. Um, but also read a lot of books. Um, Hugh Ross is a great author. Now, he would be an old earth creationist, and I think that you can be a biblical Christian and be a young earth creationist or an old earth creationist, and I am you know, don't want to get in the middle of that argument because they're, they're, it's a deep argument, but, um, but he, comes, um, he comes from a perspective um, putting those things together. A couple other books that I've read recently that I think are really good, Scientism and Secularism by J.P. Moreland. Moreland's a distinguished professor out at Biola. Um, and he talks about scientism, which is what he terms basically a philosophical naturalism, that, that, that scientism is a belief system, not something that is based off of empiricism. In other words, you, you don't go into a lab and come out with scientism. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you, you, scientism is an a priori assumption that I approach questions of scientific nature with the a priori assumption that there is not a God. And so that's a great book. Uh, John Lennox wrote a book, Can Science Explain Everything? Great book. Got to, got to read that not long ago. Um, Francis Collins. Now, Francis Collins, uh, who wrote The Language of God, used to be the, um, the leader of the National Institute of Health. Now, he's a, he's a theistic evolutionist, and I can't, I can't go there with him. Um, but he uh, was the leader of the Human Genome Project, and um, when they finally mapped the human genome, he, he, he said it was, it was revelatory of the glory of God, mm -hmm. and uh, it's just a beautiful thing. So, um, yeah, so there is no ultimate disagreement between science that is truly science, and that means we ask questions about everything and we seek to um, 
empirically gather evidence for the answers to those questions, but recognizing that science can't answer everything. You know, science can't answer why am I here? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, God does a really good job of answering why we're here. And so um, all that to say, I would definitely go to the Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. And, uh, and go with an open mind and go recognizing that the Word of God is true. And while we may not be able to wrap our minds around everything that the Word of God says, particularly in terms of things that are remarkably lofty for us, um, I think we can go with the assurance that in the end we're going to see that everything God said was absolutely true and absolutely um, reconciled faithfully with the, the truth we see in the observable world. Amen. Jeff, can you pray us out? Let's pray. Father, we love you, and we confess that the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth your handiwork. And Lord, we thank you for that truth, and we thank you that the more we learn about the universe, the more we see your hand at work. You are our creator, and not only that, you are also our sustainer, and you hold all things up by the word of your power. And so, Lord, we thank you for that, and we thank you that you welcome sinners like us to come to you through Jesus Christ, by your grace. Lord, whether we lean toward being real sinners like the tax collectors and sinners, or whether we lean toward being whitewashed tombs like the scribes and the Pharisees, we're all sinners in need of a Savior. And we're so thankful that Jesus is our Savior, whose death on the cross was sufficient to cover over all of our sin, and whose resurrection from the grave sealed the truth that you have won the victory over sin and Satan and hell and death and the grave. And we're so thankful for all of that. So Lord, help us to trust you and follow you and help us to help others do the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to our channel. To submit a question about Sunday's sermon, the Bible, or walking with Jesus, click the link in the episode description. Our hosts today are Pastor Jeff Reynolds and myself, Jordan Upton. Our engineer is Elliot Beckley, and our editor is Chad Walden.